This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I think the role of a DPO in simple terms is to act as a sort of police officer to police the organization's handling of data. It isn't necessarily to be the person who does everything to do with data protection. That was Jonathan Armstrong. This is Tom Fox. We are the co-hosts of the award-winning Life with GDPR. In this podcast, we take a deep dive into data privacy, data protection issues around GDPR, and indeed across the globe. In this episode, we look at the continuing imbroglio surrounding SARS, or Subject Access Request. Two recent Attorney General's opinions may shed light on which way the European Court of Justice may go on this contentious issue. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be back with Life with GDPR. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Jonathan Armstrong for the award-winning Life with GDPR. Welcome back, Jonathan. Thank you, Tom. Jonathan, one of the topics we touched on early on in this podcast series, I think before GDPR even went live, was the role of the data protection officer. Uh, Sadly, we have not talked about that role for some time. There was recently a case, I believe out of Germany, where a data protection officer was terminated and that termination was upheld. And I thought it'd be a great way for us to really revisit the role of the data protection officer and then maybe take a deep dive into the case to see if there was anything from a legal perspective that you thought was askance or even uh, different than you might have anticipated. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, uh, what is a DPO, a data protection officer, and what is their role both inside the corporation and uh, externally facing to regulators or others? Yeah, good question, Tom, and uh, thanks for doing this again. Um, I I think the role of a DPO in simple terms is to sort of act as a sort of police officer, to police the organization's handling of data. It isn't necessarily to be the person who does everything to do with data protection. And there has to be some impartiality to the role rather than, ju- than just being a sort of execution-only service. And it's a statutory role, if you like. It's created, um, or um, uh, Germany's had DPOs for a while in their system, but the sort of GDPR DPO role is created by Article 37 um, of GDPR, which effectively tells us who can be a DPO. And the most relevant, if you're following, if you're one of those who wants to do read-along like you might do at the Sound of Music, if you look at GDPR Article 37.5, it says that a data uh, protection officer 
has to be designated on the basis of professional qualities and in particular expert knowledge of data protection law and practices and there's a number of duties in article 39 that they have to be able to perform so uh, as i said expert knowledge is needed uh, we've had i don't know why i guess it's with the turn of the year we've done a few data protection officer training sessions for clients recently as their dpo has switched and obviously you have to make sure that the dpo understands the fundamentals of gdpr and they're going to need more training than your average member of staff and then gdpr article 38 sets out some more requirements for a dpo they have to be supported by the organization that they're dpo of so either a controller or a processor they have to be given appropriate resources both to carry out the tasks under article 39 but also to keep their expert knowledge up to date so some organizations for example will pay for a subscription service to make sure that the dpo can keep up to date and then the data protection officer also has to directly report to the highest management level there can't be somebody you know working behind the scenes in the boiler room they have to be able to speak to the top of the organization and in many organizations that will include regular check-ins with the board as well and one of the other uh, essential elements of a dpo is that they have to avoid conflicts of interest so for example we've seen from cases in belgium that this can even be a challenge for the chief compliance officer to be the dpo because the chief compliance officer may be responsible for things like annual ethics surveys that are data heavy and that in itself might conflict with the dpo role and and these uh, uh two recent cases from the european court of justice the ecj are looking at that uh, particular issue now as i've said um germany had a dpo system prior to gdpr and under german federal data protection law a dpo's employment can't be terminated unless there are facts that give just cause to terminate and the german civil code allows an employment relationship to be terminated with just cause in one of the two cases in question an individual was employed uh, by a company and they were the chair of the works council this is a bit like teamsters if you like it's a recognized body that represents uh, employees within the organization and the individual also held the role of vice chair of the central works council and this was established for three undertakings in the same group of companies and he was appointed the dpo uh, as well of the company he worked for the parent company and other subsidiaries he was dismissed with immediate effect seemingly uh, as a dpo seemingly because of the worry about conflict of interest and as i said the spotlight has shone more on this maybe in the last 12 to 18 months because of some of the cases that we've had from 
other uh, debt protection authorities saying that conflict of interest is a problem for many DPOs. The individual brought legal proceedings before the German courts uh, seeking a declaration, so he asked the court to order that he was still the DPO despite the organisation seeming to dismiss him. And the company argued that there was a risk of conflict of interests because of his association with the Works Council and the functions of the DPO. And they said that the two posts were incompatible. And the organisation said that that therefore meant that there was a just cause. So the courts in Germany upheld the individual's action. And the company sought to bring another appeal before the German Federal Labour Court. And this is this process that we've talked about <coughs> before uh, for GDPR matters, where the Labour Court can say, hang on, this looks to be a question of European law. Let's ask the ECJ to interpret how GDPR deals with DPOs. So that's what happened in this case. And uh, the other case is broadly similar, and for brevity, uh, they were also looking at conflict of interest type matters as well. Now, the European Court said that um, effectively the uh, DPO could be dismissed for just cause, and that um, conflicts of interests could exist where a DPO has other tasks and duties and where those duties could result in that DPO determining the objectives and methods of processing personal data on behalf of the data controller or its processor. But they said that effectively, the ECJ said, that the court in country should determine on a case-by-case -case basis whether there was effectively a conflict of interest. And to do that, they'd have to look at the organisational structure of the um, data controller, they'd have to look at policies and procedures in place, etc., etc. So I guess what they said is probably what we already knew, that a DPO will have to look very carefully at conflicts, that those conflicts could cause difficulties, and if the data controller thinks that those conflicts are going to be insuperable, then the data controller can dismiss the DPO, but that could be subject to review from the, um, from, from the courts uh, in country who work out whether there was a likely conflict of interest or not. Probably what we can say there is that there are some tips that organisations can take when appointing a DPO. First of all, obviously, they may need to make sure that they can find a DPO that's appropriately qualified. So they've either got expert knowledge or they're willing to learn. And you could set up a course if you've got somebody who's in the willing to learn capacity uh, uh, category. Secondly, of course, they have to have appropriate resources to do their job. That's going to include funding training, DPIA workshops, whatever that might be. Thirdly, they have to have appropriate resources to keep their knowledge up to date. Fourthly, they have to look at those reporting lines. And then fifthly, they'll have to guard against conflicts of interest. 
And that probably means that a whole host of job roles probably won't be suitable for the DPO role. So if I was a chief executive, chief operating officer, chief financial officer, chief medical officer, head of marketing, head of HR, head of IT, maybe chief compliance officer, then I'd be thinking very carefully about conflict of interest. And obviously, uh, roles lower down the organisation could also have difficulty in, in two ways. First of all, they might still have a conflict, even if they're in HR but not head of HR, could even be more of a conflict. And secondly, they um, might not be reporting to the highest level of management. Now, of course, you can have split reporting lines, so you can report to you know, a boss for your day-to-day -day role and a different boss at the highest level for data protection issues. But you're going to have to look very carefully at those reporting lines, particularly if one of those reporting lines could lead to a conflict. As a result, some organisations are looking to an external DPO. That's obviously, uh, in many cases, not the right answer. First of all, there's a shortage of good DPOs. Secondly, they tend to be somewhat expensive. Thirdly, you can still have conflicts with an external DPO. Fourthly, as I've said, there's this issue about who they report to. And uh, uh, fifthly, I think that um, often they won't understand the organisation as well and won't be as approachable to data subjects and employees, particularly uh, for that gentle nudge or guidance or discuss issues. But once you've decided on the right DPO, it's always a good idea to have terms of reference involved. Again, we've been doing more of this in the last 12 months or so of looking with organisations of proper terms of reference. Obviously, the DPO appointment is going to have to be lodged with the appropriate data protection authority and you may need to uh, look at some of the guidance that you're giving to people within the organisation and the DPO to avoid conflicts. And it's important to remember that uh, if there is a conflict situation, that in itself can enable the DPA to act. So, for example, the Berlin DPA in Germany has fined a retailer relatively small fine, 525,000 euros, because of a conflict of interest. And as I've said, we've seen cases in Belgium and Luxembourg as well. So it's definitely a hot area. And if you are the DPO, you might want to think about your own position as well as the organisation's. Jonathan, how would uh, you think regulate, let me, or I'd like to focus on the resources issue. Yeah. Are you aware of any uh, regulators really testing or probing that? Uh, in compliance, 15 years ago, it was always, well, we did the best with what we had. And, you know, the best was mm. one chief compliance officer and a $15,000 budget or a $100,000 budget. And the question was always, how much did you spend last year on paper clips? Well, $1.5 million. What's more business uh, critical, your compliance program or your paper clips? Um, I'm a stapler guy, so paper clips are not important to me. Uh, nevertheless, uh, are, are those sorts of basic discussions going on? Are regulators looking at that 
uh, issue yet, to your knowledge? Yeah, absolutely they are. Um, I once had a client with the most extreme piece of luck in that they were a relatively large organization and we were going to do training for the organization on data protection matters. They um, had had a small training session. Effectively, what we were trying to do is work out the right level for training and we did a test session with, I think, eight employees from this uh, corporation. And we did it on, let's say, a Tuesday. And by incredible coincidence, on a Wednesday, this organization had a visit from the Data Protection Authority. And the, by, again, great happenstance, one of the people walking through reception when the regulator announced themselves was somebody who'd been on the training the day before. So they took the regulator, sat them in a side room and asked them what their concern was and, you know, to all intents and purposes, went through the Dawn Raid. She went through the Dawn Raid manual in her head and asked the regulator what they were looking for and what their concern was, etc., etc. And the regulator said that they were acting on a, uh, a complaint that they'd received, that they were concerned about the organization's uh, data handling, and just to your point, Tom, wanted to know who the DPO was and when she'd last been trained. And the person walking through reception was the DPO. So she said, well, I'm the DPO. When was I last trained? Yesterday. Well, actually, uh, I can prove it because I printed out the deck of slides from yesterday's training and put them in my case with me because I was rereading them last night at home. And here, Mr. Regulator, are the deck of slides from yesterday's training. And somewhat incredibly, the regulator just said, I think our work is done here and left. And, and, and so the dawn raid didn't happen at all. Now, would regulators, this is some time ago, would regulators these days be as generous? I think probably not. I think if they've made the effort to travel, you know, some distance to do the dawn raid, I think they'd probably want to do it. But is training germane? Well, absolutely. And whenever you have a data breach, you're always talking about the skills of the uh, DPO in recognising the incident, if you can, in the training that uh, she's received, in training that the populace have received, if you can talk about that as well. So you're always looking for good news when you're reporting bad news to a regulator. And I think that that in itself puts training there, uh, front and centre. And of course, the obverse is true. If you've got a DPO that's making reports to a regulator or dealing with data subjects or ham-fistedly dealing with data subject rights, then you know that that's going to attract a regulator's attention. Regulators will expect to see competency. And it's probably easier for a regulator to judge competency than it is to judge conflict of interest. So I think it is definitely worthwhile putting resources in training 
and also currency. You know, you can't just train a DPO on a one-off basis. You have to give them the tools to keep up to date as well. Uh, well, Jonathan, uh, I think we will need to keep an eye on this, and I'm particularly interested in what the regulators think about and will actually opine in, in some type of written document, whether it be a proposal, whether it be an enforcement action or others around resources for DPOs and also expertise. So uh, perhaps we can keep our eye on this going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll look out for other cases. This is Tom Fox. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. In 2023, if you've ever considered starting your own podcast or would like some advice on the production or posting of your podcast, I hope you will consider utilizing the Compliance Podcast Network, the only podcast network dedicated to compliance. If you'd like more information on the Compliance Podcast Network, you can contact me via email at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. This episode of Life with GDPR has been a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.